indwell man and continue God's plan in the lives of people has changed everything in no less dramatic a way as the change, for example, of the life of Abraham thousands of years ago to the way we live today. If you were here last week, you heard this little you know, theoretical conversation that I had with Abraham out in the field here that we have on our property. Uh, the power had gone out like it's going to at the end of October and beginning of November, once again, just getting you ready. And uh, we're out there in the dark and it's cold and he's pointing to the stars and he's saying, uh, this is just amazing, look at all of these stars and do you know what? God promised me that all of my descendants would outnumber all of these stars. Of course, I know this promise because it's written in the Bible and I want to show him all that's happened as a result of that and so, you know, like... I'm cold. Could we go inside? Because I want to show you in a Bible all that's happened. But it's dark, and so I say, open the flashlight app. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, that happens, right? It's going to come on here. Hang on a second. Oh, but it's not wanting to do it. You know, this happened. Oh, there we go. Ooh, I lost it again. All right, I'm just going to do it this way. Sorry. It worked for Abraham. Okay, just imagine that it did, right? So the flashlight app comes on and we start walking back and he is just doesn't want to talk about the stars anymore. He's looking at me going, why do you have something in your hand that looks like a star, but it doesn't burn you? And when you just speak to it, it goes on and on. You can imagine the series of questions that would come because of this incredible change of life from the time that he lived until today. You can imagine that that conversation would have to be taken one step at a time. Because if I just told him it was an iPhone and it's ten times the power of what we use to get to the moon, he would say, you been to the moon? This is just mind-blowing to him. So with the Holy Spirit, the shift that has come in space and time and the, what that means in the life of people and the birth of the church of Jesus Christ is so huge, we're going to need to take this one step at a time. And just like God, <laughs> He comes right where we are. So He starts right where these people are in the book of Acts in the city of Jerusalem. There, right there, is Jerusalem. And so in chapters 1 through 6, verse 7, we're going to look at the birth of the church there in Jerusalem and what God is doing next. And this part of what we're going to look at in the book of Acts is going to become incredibly practical as we go along. But this part of it, not without practical application, but it's very theological. And I could just see you going, great, I had to come this week. I'll take my nap now instead of this afternoon. I see a few yawns already. Listen, you always want to know why things happen. Well, when you understand the spiritual nature of what God is doing, and the theological reasons, we call them, for things, they start to answer our whys. So I ask you to kind of go with me today and see if you can't see what God is doing in this passage. So this is theological. He's taking the, the, the message that we want to share to a, a new level. This message is going to touch people in a greater way. And the values of this message start to get redefined. Those values are gathering, serving, and learning. It's just kind of the way that we put it of our getting from where we are to God's message touching all people. 
and touching our lives in a deeper and deeper way and people who need to be touched. Well, in this big turn that I keep referring to in this coming of the Holy Spirit, what God has in store is uh, He is going to redefine these three things in a, in, a, in a way that was never possible before. So we come to Acts chapter 2, and last week we looked at part of this chapter, and I wanted you to see the people and not get uh, too uh, distracted by the the amazing events of the circumstances and, and, and realize that there's an invitation to gather real people here. But this week, I want to get to the spiritual nature of it, really the theological explanation of what happened in this amazing passage because this is about a life-transforming presence in our lives. So allow me to read part of this passage, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse uh, 14, actually, and um, then we're going to jump to the very end after a few verses. So, uh, but in case you weren't here last week, what has happened is a sound and what looked like flames came down on the heads of a group of individuals and they began to speak in languages that were known languages, but they didn't know how to speak prior to that moment. The reason they did that is because they were pilgrims from all around the world that had come to this festival who spoke different languages and God empowered these people in a special way to communicate this message I keep talking about to those people. Well, you can imagine, they're all just flabbergasted saying, how in the world can these people speak our language? They think they're drunk. That's one of the accusations. So Peter stands up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes him. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now jump down to verse 42, just at the end of the chapter. They, these are all the people that then responded and believed in what Peter was telling them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we have more available to us since we are at this point in history than prior to when this Holy Spirit came. To whom much is given, much is required, this same author of Acts wrote in his gospel called Luke. Where we are in history really does matter. And this is all because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. This passage moves from the spectacular to the most practical everyday living. And that's a great progression because we're going to get to the end of this uh, little message here and we're going to kind of know what we're supposed to do. So, let's start with the spectacular. What happens? In verse 12, they are amazed and perplexed and they say, what does this mean? And then Peter stands up and he explains that this was all prophesied and he speaks from Joel. Joel is a small prophet in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, short book, and he prophesies that this is going to happen. Now, Joel, 800 years before, was in that same city, Jerusalem. And he was saying, this is what's going to happen down the road. 800 years. He didn't know exactly the number of years. And he says, this is what's going to happen. So they have been rebellious against God. They've been doing all kinds of things wrong. He's predicting calamity. But then he says, but there's going to be a day when God is going to pour out his spirit on these people. So he calls for them to repent. He sees this big turn of events, the coming of the spirit. And then that's followed by the day of the Lord in verse 20. There's a reference to Christ's second return. Now, that's important for us to see. That just follows right along in the verses. For what I call a stacked perspective. Joel is 800 years away. He's looking out. He sees God shows him. But many times in the Old Testament, we see prophets who are predicting what's happening. It's so far away that they can't see the distance between one of those events and another. They aren't meant to. God didn't reveal it to them. What we know, because I said, where we are in history and time and space is very important. What we know is that the Holy Spirit has already come, but we know that the day of the Lord, God's, uh, Christ's second return, hasn't happened yet. And that's significant. Because in this one prophecy, we see all of these things. Well, how come they aren't all happening? Well, because Joel couldn't see exactly the space between these different things. And some of these may yet come, are yet to happen. The pinnacle of the prophecy, however, is in verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel predicts the everyone. You see, prior to this in space and time, in, in history, people had to come to Jerusalem to find the God of the Jews in order to find God. Because He was their chosen people. Now with the coming of the Holy Spirit, talk about changing everything, He brings about the birth of what we know as the church of Jesus Christ, which is no longer bound by any geopolitical uh, limitation. It can be anywhere, go anywhere, and reach every nation, tribe, and tongue, like we looked at last week. So now, Joel introduces this. Anyone, and Paul Paul picks it up later in the, the book of Romans, in chapter 10, quoting Joel and also Isaiah, saying, anyone trusting in him will not be put to shame. So this is what happens. He comes, and he comes in this amazing way, and then he transforms. Now, what does that mean? 
I might have given this to you in the notes, but instead I want you to write it down. So pull them out and write these things down because they're not there. He transforms. What does that mean? I am taking these things from a number of passages, from Jesus' teaching in John chapter 3 and 16 and 17, and then from Paul's teachings in Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and 1 Corinthians. You need to understand what the Holy Spirit does. When He comes, this is what He does. These things, and these are really important, He's regenerating people. The Bible tells us that you are dead in your sin. Ephesians chapter 1. You're dead. Somebody needs to make you alive. That's why we can't work our way to heaven. When you're dead, you can't accomplish anything. You're dead, spiritually speaking. But God comes and He quickens that soul of yours and brings it to life, literally, spiritually. You go from death to to life when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's called regeneration. There's a quickening of your spirit and you change from a dead person spiritually to a live person spiritually. And then you are baptized into union with Christ. You aren't just brought to life to then kind of wander around by yourself. You're meant to be joined with the one who has reached you. That Jesus Christ and the body of believers, the other people that he has brought together. So there's a baptizing, there's a bringing into a fellowship of people. And then there's an indwelling. He enters the person's life. And there you see these others that are kind of uh, inset and they're gray to kind of help you with uh, the long list of things that the Holy Spirit does. In his indwelling, he does all of these things. He guides people. He leads you when you Lean on Him and you pray to Him and you ask for direction. He will guide. He teaches. We see this. You see that uh, in Corinthians, He says that the person without the Spirit can't understand the things of the Spirit because He doesn't dwell within them. But when we do have the Spirit, He illumines us. He helps us understand what the Scriptures say. Um, He he told His disciples, you're not going to remember all this stuff, but when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to recall, bring these things back to mind. You're going to remember them. And then there's a convicting and You know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know this. Maybe even if you don't, we do know that the Holy Spirit works convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so He works in people's hearts to help them understand. You may call it a conscience, you may call it a moral sense of right and wrong. It's actually the work of God in your heart to help you understand what He wants. And then there's comforting. There's a a presence of the Holy Spirit. He's called the Comforter and He helps people through... Difficult times, difficult circumstances, ways that can't be uh, dealt with humanly. When we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit does know what to do and He comforts us. He prays for us. Corinthians again talks about saying things and you don't even know what to say to God, but your heart's broken or your questions are, are, are beyond what you can express. The Holy Spirit actually intercedes for you in ways that you can never understand, but God understands. And then there's gifting. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians 4. Every individual places their trust in Christ gets a gift, an ability, a God-given capacity to do what He wants them to do. And then we get to His sealing. He then, as He comes inside of you, He is that deposit. There's going to be a day on the great day of the Lord when Jesus Christ comes back. And those who are His are going to go and be with Him forever. And how's He going to know the difference between the two? The seal of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those people will identify them as people who belong to the Heavenly Father. And then there's a filling. And this is the one thing you can control. All of those other things are simply given to you. They are given by the Holy Spirit. They're ministries that He does in our lives. There's one thing you can seek after, and that's a filling of the Holy Spirit. That's when you lean and depend upon Him for specific circumstances and situations. Now, let me explain that. 
This is real life stuff. That's a bunch of theology there. Let me explain how real this is. In our first service, we have a uh, worship bulletin that you guys don't uh, get. And on the, the beginning of this, and Nancy, who coordinates it, just does a great job in putting this more liturgical service together. And she gives quotes that help prepare people for worship. And there's one that she put in today was perfect by a man by the name of Henry Blackaby. And he says, will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? Well, of course not. He's such a good guy. Yeah, how's this? The answer is, yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. And He wants to reveal Himself to a watching world. That's real and that's true. So, how does that happen? Okay, so many years ago when I'm working in New York City with a bunch of yuppies, and truly, it was the mid-80s, it was the, the escalation of yuppiedom, and, and I'm working with a bunch of um, uh, young adults uh, that are still living at home, making tons of money, they're not married yet. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was, it, was pretty, it was pretty cool, actually. But we were like the starving couple trying to reach these, you know... And, uh, and so we put together, there's a few people that were, you know, helping us, and they said, let's do a ski retreat. So we're going to go off, we're going to go skiing in Vermont, and so we go up, and, and the whole idea is we'll ski, but we're also going to have these times. It's a retreat, you know, and I'm supposed to speak and everything, and so, you know, they're putting up with listening to me so that they can ski, right? And so there's a guy that comes along, and they were all over the map. Some of them were believers, a few, some were, you know, kind of sort of there, and others were just like, I'm just here to ski, so whatever, okay, so at night you're going to say something, fine, I'll snooze. And so this is what's going on. Well, one guy in particular, God's been working in his heart, convicting. And at one point during that retreat, he pulls me aside, he goes, okay, so he's got all kinds of questions. At one time in the conversation, he says to me, so explain this to me. You know, you kind of start, you know, no offense or anything, but you're kind of babbling along and, you know, stuttering. And, and, and then all of a sudden, it's like you're not talking anymore. And you're saying stuff that makes sense. And it's answering some of my questions. What is that? I'm like, well, you're not going to believe this. Okay? So I'm just telling you that up front. But you asked, so i got to answer your question. Okay, so what is it? The Holy Spirit. You're right. I don't believe that. But it was. That's exactly what it was. Because in that moment, at that time, as I depended upon God to do something that I is impossible, I can't convince some person of their desperate need for God and their need to humble themselves and admit their sin and give their life to someone they can't even see. How am I going to do that? But as I lean and I depend upon Him to try and do that the best of my ability, He then fills me and uses me. And that happened. Same kind of thing happened to us in Italy. Some of you know that I uh, ministered over there for a number of years. I worked very hard to learn that language. I'm pretty good at it. On a good day, I could fool Italians for a few minutes because my accent was that good. But then I would make a grammatical error. It didn't take long. And people knew I wasn't Italian. And so you don't have it down. You're not, you know, and you make mistakes. And how are you, when you really haven't 
completely mastered language going to help people understand the subtleties and the depth of the spiritual realities that I'm trying to explain here. And the language isn't yours. How's that going to work? And I can tell you there were times when, you know, we got the right situation, circumstances, got people around a table, and the questions come up, and now it's time, and they really want to know... Well, there was a filling in that moment that only God gets the glory for. I had a freedom and an ability and a capacity in the Italian language that was so marked that it had to be somebody else because the previous part of that meal was full of all kinds of errors and mistakes and stumbling and bumbling. That's how this can work. And it does work. It's like your iPhone. The more you learn about it, the more you find out what it can do. And that's the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He has come and He transforms. And those are the things that He wants to do. Now, how that happens is where the controversy comes. Very sincere people who trust the same Bible and follow the same Lord will differ on how these things are supposed to happen, how they're expressed, you know, we have Joel saying, God is going to work in amazing ways. And we got dreams and prophecy and visions and wonders and blood and fire and smoke and darkness and all this kind of stuff. How do we know what is the Holy Spirit, what is not? Uh, you may be in this church because you're not going to be in one of those other ones where they're doing all kinds of stuff. Or maybe you're looking at this church going, ah, you guys don't really trust in the Holy Spirit. You know, how do we know? Well, I have three suggestions to give you. First of all, use all of Scripture. The broader use of Scripture will help us understand some of these things. In the stacked understanding of what's going on, I think that some of these things that he's describing here haven't happened yet. They're closer to the day of the Lord. Well, somebody may differ from me. Okay, let's go to Scripture and let's see. We're going to go through the book of Acts. This Holy Spirit's going to continue to work. He's going to do some amazing things. And we're going to understand those events in their, in their context and the circumstances so that we can understand it better. So use the whole, use, uh, the broad use of Scripture. I think we should. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys, you know, watch reality television or whatever. You watch um, National Geographic. The, the, on that channel, there's something now called Snake Salvation. Have you seen that? It's just been out for the last few weeks or something. But this, you should go check it out next time, okay? This is a group of people that take the end of Mark, chapter 16, as a focal point for everything that they do. And they are churches that are based upon the fact that in this passage it says you'll be able to pick up venomous snakes and raptors and so on and and, and they create a worship service with all of these venomous snakes. Well, the nature of the show is the fact that, of course, these people are transporting venomous snakes around, and they get in trouble with the law, and back and forth, and everything. And sure enough, some of them die, then they become heroes. What are these people doing? They're taking one particular passage. And I don't know. They, they may be believers. I, just, I think the mistake that they make is they're focusing on one passage and defining who they are based upon that. Take a broader view of the Scripture to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Understand the stacked perspective that I've talked about, and that some of these things may yet happen. And then finally, one last thing that I think is really important, and that's just a holy submission to the Holy Spirit. Dr. Miller was one of my theology professors when I was a student in college, and uh, he, was, uh, he was from a, a rather conservative seminary, one of their finest students. I understand when he got his doctorate, he went to defend it orally, and it was like the shortest oral defense ever done because the guy was just so brilliant. And he went on to become the president of that school and pastor church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And the guy was really, really bright, and he had his very, had very clear 
convictions about what the role of the Holy Spirit was and wasn't and how it worked. And we all knew that. And then he says, after he's explained it all, now, you develop your convictions, but once you figure it out and you think you've got it all down, stop. And don't condemn what might be the work of the Holy Spirit because you don't know. Develop your convictions. Understand from a broader context of Scripture what you think the Spirit does and doesn't do. And that's okay, but don't condemn what might be the work of the Holy Spirit because He's God and you're not. So I try and carry that respect as well. I have some very defined uh, understandings of what, uh, refined understandings of what this is. I happen to believe that all the tongues that we see in the New Testament are known languages. Many people disagree with me on that. I'll argue with you. But I'll stop at the point of saying that that's absolutely certain because I don't know everything the Holy Spirit does. So here's my point. We've talked about the fact that he's calm. We've talked about the fact that he transforms and how that happens. I don't want us to get distracted by the flash. He's come for a reason. He's come that we would know that he's come and look at what that means in our daily responsibilities. After all, he's come that people would be saved. And the coming of the Holy Spirit has changed everything. So Peter then immediately moves into the more practical. I said it started with the spectacular and begins to move into the more practical. Where he says, men of Israel, listen. Jesus of Nazareth. The first thing we notice is he uses earthly names. He's gone from this amazing heavenly stuff brought to earth to now these earthly names. Even the name of Jesus. He uses a very earthly name because he talks about miracles and human responsibility. How, as a human being, Jesus represented the Father and how they put him to death. Now, have you ever thought about what the Holy Spirit looked like in the life of Jesus Christ? Well, he didn't have that because he was God. Careful. If he wasn't fully human, then he couldn't take your place and be your substitute. He was fully God, but he was fully human. Well, how does that work? It is a mystery. I cannot fully explain it. But I can explain that he trusted the Holy Spirit to do what needed to be done that was beyond his abilities as a human being. Luke chapter 4, same author. Same author recording in his gospel what happens with uh, Jesus in chapter 4 says he's going to go out in, into the desert and he's going to be tempted. Forty days and nights he lived without eating or drinking anything. And at the end of that, in all of that human weakness, he did not resist the temptation of the devil. How is that possible? Because one says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Then when this was all over, we see in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And he begins to teach and heal people and do amazing things. He even stands up and says, as he's reading from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus Christ actually depended upon the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he could do that was supernatural. I don't believe he did anything that the Father didn't tell him to do and through the Spirit give him the power to do. He didn't do it on his own. Is that possible for us? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, Paul talking about, uh, Peter talking about the miracles that have been accomplished by Jesus in their sight, and then they crucify him. But God, verse 24, raised him from the dead. And he goes into the description of this resurrection that was intended. Now, why would he do that? Because there's just one more passage I want to take you to. And that would be Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read a prayer 
of Paul's to us that says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power, that power, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. You see, he's praying that we would receive the same power that God used through the Spirit to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That's available to us. We truly can do things that God wants us to do, not what we just want to do. Oh, okay, let me just go raise my grandmother from the dead. God had a specific purpose for why that resurrection took place, that of Jesus Christ. But he asks us every day to do things that we think are impossible for us to do. Doesn't he? What does he want us to do? Then he immediately goes to the most practical things. Look at verses 42 through 47. We read them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, to studying, caring, sharing, and praying. And that word devoted is continually devoting, to attend to constantly. Let me ask you a question. How many things do you do all the time? How many things do you do all the time? Think about that. Is that list a list of really great, wonderful disciplines? Or is it a longer list of things that you didn't do all the time? I wish you did all the time. Eat too much, sleep too little, sleep too much, eat too little, you know, criticize too much, get a bad attitude all the time. You know what? Isn't, isn't the list of things that we do all the time more a, a negative list, if we're honest with ourselves, than, than the list of things that we're really consistent on that are great? Of course, because we're human. And he looks at you and says, I sent the Holy Spirit so that you could continually devote yourselves to things that for you are impossible to do all the time. But by my spirit, they're not. And it'll be so obvious to everybody else that you can't do that, that I get the glory. Like studying, like really knowing what the Bible says. I mean, Mariano Rivera retired this last week. 652 saves, five world championships, 13 all-star appearances, an ERA over just, just over two, 2.11, I think. Now, how come I can remember that and I can't come up with a verse when I want it? Or where that passage was that I just read last week, for heaven's sake. Do you think I could remember that? Or to pray for that person that I told him I'd pray for. And then I see him the next time, I'm like, oh, forgot it's impossible exactly God asks you to do all the time these very practical everyday things that you can't do because he wants you to lean in on that Holy Spirit and trust him and he will start doing amazing things in and through you forget about raising people from the dead what about living a consistent 
holy life before God. That's power, isn't it? Overcoming those besetting sins, struggling with those addictions, dealing with those pains that have caused you to treat people certain ways. Wow. Look what these guys do. They end up making space for more than just them. Somebody's in need, no problem. Here, let me sell my car. I don't need that good car. I don't need, I'm get, I'll, I'll just buy a junker so that you can get what you need. Who does that? They did. They sold things so that nobody had any need. They made sure everybody was taken care of. Nobody humanly does that unless they allow the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and minds. And this was voluntary. They chose to do it. There wasn't somebody up there going, okay, you do this, and you do that, and you do that. We're going to see that as we walk through some other passages. They voluntarily did this because it was voluntarily. It was the Holy Spirit who told them to do it, who spoke to their hearts and minds, and they were like, wow. All right, I know he wants me to do it. Now you help me do it. And they did it. It's remarkable. And they enjoyed God's blessing. And God continued to add to their number. Why is that? Because there's no way what was happening in that setting with that kind of caring and sharing, praying and studying and learning and growing and being really different from everybody else was possible outside of something very supernatural. So, is that true today? Can be. That's the theological, the spiritual nature of what has happened because the Holy Spirit has come and changed everything. He enters into us with a life-transforming presence. And what does that look like? Personally, that looks like a person who passes from death to life. That finds their identity in Jesus Christ and those who call themselves Christians. There, that's a person who ends up being guided and learning and growing and convicted and directed and comforted and helped and interceded for and gifted to do amazing things. That's sealed and finds that filling because they lean on Him. And then collectively, it looks like people who learn and grow together, who, who study together, who leave this auditorium and go over into group links Unabashed advertisement here because that's the work of the Holy Spirit in a place where people gather together and study and learn and grow and find out what it's about. Get connected in that body they're called to be a part of. And then they do things for other people and they bake potatoes for people and you had to be here last week for that. And, and they, they remember and they strive and they work at praying for other people. And they sacrifice for others. That change can only be explained by God's presence, the Holy Spirit. How amazing this is. And at the same time, it's possible for each and every one of us. And for this reason, the Apostle Paul closes one of his letters by saying this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, the dwelling, the, the closeness, the interceding, the gifting, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you've done. It's amazing. And it's going to take us one step at a time learning about this and growing into it. And we thank you for your patience. And even as you've revealed this in the book of Acts, that you'll just show us that one step at a time. I thank you. I thank you for demonstrating the reality of this and the life of Jesus Christ, showing us how it's done so that we too can know that we can live by the Spirit, we can live in the Spirit, we can be consistent in the things you mean for us to do as we trust in Him, as we lean on Him, as we allow Him to work and lead us and guide us. I thank you for your patience even when we're not. Forgive us for grieving Him, for not following Him, for not trusting Him, And teach us, I pray, how good he is and how much he wants to do to make us more and more like your son. And once again we say, in these impossible things, as you make them possible by the Spirit, may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.